0: This is Irish Illustrated Insider. It's Monday, October 11th. Notre Dame moves to 5-1 and one with a 32-29 victory at Virginia Tech. Guys, take it over. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, that's how I felt on our incident analysis. Here's what happened. Here's the score. Here's how the game was won. And uh, let's try to unpack the last three and a half hours of our lives because that was nuts. Pete, I saw your tweet. I'm, I'm trying to figure it out from musings. Is it the craziest win? I mean, it's that one or all the Todd Graham games that Brian Kelly's played. Be yeah, done. no, yeah. I, I thought it was the most
2: ridiculous, insane, b- bizarre Notre Dame victory that I've ever covered. Um, I'm, tr- I'm trying to think of, like who else would be in, um, in the conversation Pittsburgh in 2012. Yeah, but, like the- that that one like made a little bit more sense. Like, oh, it's going to be left down after Oklahoma. This one was just sort of like out of nowhere. The quarterback back and forth, and then back um you know just all the the number of freshmen who played and how much they played the offensive line struggling so much all year and then getting it together um you know the defense being a little hit and miss but also like really like winning some key moments in the game that made the difference you know they had a fourth and they had a first and goal at the one and in the first half and that turned into three points like you know, Notre Dame went four or four in the red zone with touchdowns, and yeah, that's Virginia what I was Tech went bring two up. or four.
0: Um, you know, and yeah. so here here, yeah, here was a, a you know, Virginia Tech had allowed seven penetrations of the red zone. Notre Dame had 11 <laughs> offensively, and Notre Dame scores four touchdowns on four <laughs> penetrations. Right. Or I mean, just the concept of the starting quarterback really struggles. The sub comes in and lights it up to the point where the two announcers who I like very much are talking about okay, that here this could be the the turning of the page at Notre Dame quarterback moving forward. Then he struggles horribly and the start of the struggle <laughs> comes in and leads them to victory and back-to-back drives. I mean, it's totally improbable the way uh, the way it all transpired.
1: All of it. It was, it's crazy. It was a crazy game. It was, it was so crazy that Brian Kelly forgot that he benched cone twice in the last two games and he blamed us for uh, Jack cone. Being having bad stories <laughs> written about him. I didn't bench him, you did. What are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> like you benched him for two
0: quarterbacks. <laughs> uh, nobody, but I like I, I think a lot of fans took offense to him taking. No, Statenita. I don't take offense. I, I don't take think-
1: offense at yeah. all, but it was like,
0: you're the guy that benched him.
1: And <laughs> this is why the questions have to be asked. It's like you didn't stick with him. <laughs> of course yeah, something I-
2: went wrong. <laughs> I mean, like everyone else, I think Brian Kelly is just like, what the yeah. hell was that? Like, yeah, um, no, he was. He, he was, was just, like, didn't really know what to say. So he just, like, he was on a roll. I mean, <laughs> it was like, what, was it over when the Germans brought Pearl Harbor? <laughs> stuff? Like, he just was, was like, talking. Like, words were his, coming out of his mouth. and they his were hands, entertaining. hands kept touching his face that and was, his hair. <laughs> that was the lead of my game story was, like, his hands on head, lean back, fists made driving it into his forehead, like a literal face
1: palm as he's talking yeah, about I Tyler think, Buckner.
0: O'Malley, I think you were asking a question when he I covered did. his face with his hands.
1: Yeah. I mean, what? listen, and then, and then and, and to, to his credit, I use the word disparate. He's like, oh, that's fair. That's true. They <laughs> are nothing alike. <laughs> it's like, I'm not asking you who's better. I'm just saying you got to use both, right? Well, yeah, the, really-
0: look, the offensive line, I mean, I think that was unmistakable progress against not a great defensive front, but one that's what's that's reputable, which by the way, the next six defenses that Notre Dame plays, <laughs> they're going to be a lot more forgiving in the ground on the ground um, than the first six that they played. So hopefully that bodes well, but I wouldn't think that there's any doubt the starting left side of the offensive line moving forward. You couldn't possibly, you couldn't possibly change that after the success that you had. So I mean, that that's encouraging. I don't know that we anticipated that much of a jump from one game to the next at any point this season with the offensive line, and that's as fragile as the next game. I get that, but that was progress. That was really, really important for the offensive line to post a, a performance like that.
2: Yeah, they just have a blueprint of what works finally. I mean, they've been searching for one for two months now and finally have found something that, I mean, it worked one time. Okay, like I don't want to get too carried away, but the point Priester makes is like one like is the one a importance of one that they found something that works. The one a is like the defenses that are playing moving forward are not very good, so they should be able to keep what worked Saturday night working through the rest of October and November to a certain extent.
0: Well, they got legitimate push. I mean, legitimate, tangible, visible push. Yes, the defensive line.
1: They did. They really did. Um. I do think that a big part of the boost is that Tyler Buckner was there to keep everything honest and run no himself. Doubt. So I don't, you know, that's, that's kind of why I asked the question. Literally, literally I was not looking for a soundbiter or this giant thing from Brian Kelly. just like you clearly need to, you can't have Jack Cohn or you can't have Jack Cohn fake a read option that he doesn't keep. I mean, I thought Hasselbeck did a great job of showing some plays where not like everybody can see where Williams gets 15 yards, like, hey, that's because Tyler Buckner had to be respected. But when he gets like four and five yards, and you could just see the defensive end has to pause because Tyler Buckner's there, and you can't quite get to Kyron Williams, that is what a running game is, really, right? The five yards, the six yards, it's not always a 43 yard touchdown that you're respecting.
0: Yeah. And there's no doubt that, you know, I mean, Buckner's not going to be in there all the time. And so you don't have the added benefit with your run game by his mere presence on the field. Yeah. But I do think that they found something I, I talked about in today's tale of the tape. And it's something that drew Brees has talked about during the home games that cones at his best when it's what, you know, drops one step, two step, three steps, throw. Now you're not always going to have a success that way because the receiver is not always going to be open. Uh, but, but that happened to be the case in the last two drives, but, at least, again, like we're talking about offensive line. At least, it's a blueprint for getting the football out of his hands, staying on time, getting the football in the hands of playmakers, and you avoid, you know, the incessant, unstoppable sacks. Which, by the way, now in two games, and part of it is approach, but uh, in two games, that part has improved as well.
2: Yeah, I, I thought you know the stat that stuck out to me with the um, the offensive line is they had if you let's look at TFLs Notre Dame has been really poor this year and TFLs allowed. Um, but if you remove sacks from that, and just sort of look at like, what, what are the run play TFLs that you're allowing? They've been allowing, I think it was 24 and five games and they allowed zero on Saturday. Like one of them got wiped out by penalty. It was the, the clipping call on Kristoff, which is the first clipping call that you've seen since the eighties. But, um, You know, it was that was that was significant. Um, That's a significant progress. One would have been significant. Prospect zero looks great.
0: Christophe, go ahead, Tim.
1: No, go ahead. I was going to go to the offensive line as well, but I have a I have a um, so analytics for you guys that I crunched some numbers here that surprised me. The numbers thirty two and zero don't seem to correlate for me. Thirty two points scored, zero snaps by Michael Mayer. I cannot believe. We are talking about 32 (laughs) points scored without Michael Mayer playing.
0: Yeah, and I thought, you know, Takis, we all remember the big 15-yard catch, but he blocked better. He was just more active. It was just a more aggressive game for Notre Dame's front. And I thought Christophic, you know, I hadn't really seen a lot of push from him in his previous appearances, but he played extended time. And so that gives you a chance – To get settled in a little bit, I know Alt was beaten by Barno on the on the uh, in the first series, but Alt, you know, and again, I'm like you're looking for this when you're going through the 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 tape of it. And Kristoffic and Alt are playing together; they're playing in tandem with one another, and you didn't see a lot of that in the first five games.
1: I feel like Notre Dame fans watching in the future and the 74 snaps that Alt and Kristoffic are going to be taking. Are going to just have to live with, well, see, Kristoffick blew it in pass coverage there. Yeah, he did. He'll blow one in pass coverage. And Joe Alt will get beaten by a 23 year old man from USC during pass coverage at some point. But it's the fact that they are, in, on the whole, winning way more than the guys before them were winning. It's not even winning more than they're losing. It's they're giving Notre Dame a chance. And that is what you're yeah. asking for from the offensive line, right? Yeah.
0: And I, I you know, again, I even thought Lug would, Lug. One settled in a a little bit too, you know, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't perfect. It's still, it's still what I'd say, like 30, 40, 35 yards under what they averaged last year, but that's really that point. That's moot. Um, You know, it's, it's progress. It's something to build upon it's confidence for those players. They didn't look tentative. Like they've looked a good portion of the season. I guess it's easy for me to say all those things because they were productive but i mean i legitimately feel like in re-watching the game that i saw that with my eyes and that's progress we don't really i know a lot of people are asking about injuries and now that we're now that we're in um bye week we didn't have the opportunity to speak with brian kelly today like we normally do so chris tyree i know there were a lot of questions about that turf toe there may be some questions whether he went into the game with that or not i didn't think I didn't interpret it that way, Tim. You did.
1: I did. Yeah. But it doesn't mean it's true. I just interpreted it that way. When you said he Um, he couldn't go with it, I thought
0: he might've apparently, now I did get some feedback on David Lacey and that did not look good. I thought it was knee. Uh, I think it's, I think it's more high ankle, which can be time consuming, but he's playing his best football. So that's tough. He's probably going to, miss a little bit of time here though uh which he was is too bad because yeah. he was really he was, yeah. he, was re- he played really really well against uh wisconsin
1: i think the best thing for jacob lacy is that uh it is pretty clear now because remember he doesn't have a he didn't have a redshirt year it's pretty clear that he can be a player at notre dame using the covid year and be a yes. fifth year guy he always needed a fifth year it wasn't fair to him that they had to put him in you talk about fair not fair to him he had to play defensive tackle as an 18 year old at notre dame in 2019 because they hadn't recruited anybody in the cycles yeah. prior so now he gets his fifth year and hopefully he can be back by november you think it look at it that way right it happened on october 9th maybe he could be back playing and i
0: would think that he would be back by november yes uh we still we haven't we still haven't said did anybody say jonathan door's name yet i mean <laughs> 48 same th- yarder
1: same thing post-game press conference it took yeah. uh, at least 10 minutes
0: 48 yarder drilled it i guess you kind of anticipate that from him but i mean you want to talk about you know, I mean, I guess I didn't realize at the time how much Brian Kelly was, quote, icing his kicker as he was arguing about the laser from the stands. And you understand why he's doing that. And apparently John Doerr just said, coach, just let me kick it. <laughs> and uh, and he drilled it. And, I, you know, when it left his foot, uh, I thought it was it looked like it's going to drift right. And it immediately after that started hooked back in and, and uh, just tremendous. And Kevin Austin. I want to save a comment about Kevin Austin. I think we have a question on the second segment, but uh, you know, it it's it's great to recruit big time athletes and big time receivers that can make plays like he did on the two point conversion. And I mean, what a what a what a ballet along the sideline on the forty six yarder, which, if not for maybe a cleat actually touching the turf, he stays on his feet and scores there. That was an incredible yeah. play.
2: yeah, it's I mean, do- doors I think we talked about on previous podcasts it's like when he misses one I don't think it's going to carry over to the next one right it's almost like he's right. in a spot where like the harder the kick the more confident I am he's going to make it um yeah and then Austin is just like this is the Austin that Notre Dame needed to see from the get-go it's the Austin that they've got four out of the six games um to a certain extent yes. you know they need it they need it probably six out of the next six or five out of the next six um, to, to to win out.
0: And I thought it was interesting. You know, uh, I know Tim, the the beat writer that we the the insider that we use talked about um, press coverage from Virginia Tech, and they do press, but there's two different types of press. There's one where you get hands on the receiver, and there's what Virginia Tech does. And I and I know it's just on film leading up to the game. They don't they press, but they don't really get hands on the receiver. They kind and of bail,
1: yeah. It's an interesting, yeah. I mean, you yeah. know, they
0: get they get up in his grill a little bit, but on right. the forty six yarder, Waller, who's really a real quality cover corner, did not put hands on on Austin. Well, that's a big difference. I sure Kevin Austin appreciated it <laughs> compared to what he dealt with <laughs> compared to what he dealt with with Gardner the previous week.
1: Yeah, if you're a great press corner, I mean, it's just it just be so tough as a college receiver, <laughs> an inexperienced college receiver like Kevin Austin. I mean, that was. We talked about it pregame, right? We thought of Darkeese Denard and Deveras Daniels. And I remember Tim in the press conference after that game, he said to Brian Kelly, Double D got a uh some tutoring from Double D, right? <laughs> because it was just he Austin wasn't is not yet good enough to beat that press coverage. Yeah. And I you're but it's not it's not normal that those guys can do that in college either. You're not gonna go all of a sudden see for the next six games a mod Gardner covering you,
0: yeah. right? And so, I'm not I I'm not really sure that. I mean, just statistically talking about the remaining six opponents, I'm not sure how many of them actually get hands-on in press, but we'll look at that maybe a little bit more here as we go into the bye week. But, uh, hey, let's get to segment two coming up, burning up the boards.
1: The Indiana Whiskey Company in South Bend, Indiana, delivers great whiskey at honest prices. Founded in 2011 by Notre Dame alumni and military veterans, the company set out to prove that Indiana has everything needed to make a world-class whiskey. The Indiana Whiskey Company has been producing whiskey, and only whiskey, for eight years running. And they want you to know, they're getting pretty good at it. If you are in town for a game, visit the distillery for some pre-game cocktails and a bottle of whiskey for your tailgate. For more information, go to inwhiskey.com. Cheers, and go Irish!
0: Burning up the boards is segment two of Irish Illustrated Insider. We start with a question from Sweet Lou Corduroy. It seems like it's always a chippy game. When the Irish play in Blacksburg, including 2018, any insight as to what caused the fighting in the end zone after the game and why both teams seem to target and play a little dirty against each other?
2: I don't know. I I have not heard anything that led to it, um, but I would say, I, look, I didn't cover the Holtz teams, Tim, you did, but like this team talks as much <laughs> mess as any team that I have covered um, at Notre Dame.
0: Yeah, led by Kyle Hamilton. So that yeah that uh yeah I certainly and that,
2: Kyron Williams is the same way. I mean, Kyrgyzstan no like yeah. yeah talked after the game about how much he loves to talk. Like that's what gets him yeah. going. So if that's what's working for you, I get it. Yeah,
0: no doubt. You know, I mean, like I, I think back to eighty eight and guys like Pritchett and Stams and I you know, I don't know how much Stonebreaker talked he's he pretty quiet, but I mean those guys were so supremely confident. In their abilities, uh, you know, I mean, when they went and played West Virginia national championship, they knew it was going to be a walk in the park that day. Uh, so, a- you know, they were just, they were cut. Kind of, yeah, they were kind of a team. Um, Yeah, this is a very talkative one. Tim, do you know what did you, no, I love, I, uh, what did you see at the end of, uh, you probably, you were working, you didn't get, no,
1: here's to. the problem. I, I, I usually, this is like my wheelhouse. Like at, at basketball games, I always see the fight coming because I watch the, I'm bored and I watch the players talk to each other. No, but I usually see these fights coming on fields. I was finishing up the game story. So until I heard a little bit of a ruckus, I didn't look up, but I did see Kyron Williams, like uh get separated from a tech player. And I, I, I said on the board, I don't say tech players cause I was really just looking for Notre Dame players. That's why yeah. I'm only going to Jason,
0: Jason, Jason, Adam Alolo Adam was, was involved. Someone.
1: Yeah. Oh, Jason, Adam is was involved. Hynish and white were when they are shoving, when they're getting people pushed away. Finally, Hynish and white had their hands two inches from the player's faces waving goodbye to them, which is going to cause a player to stick his, hit, you know, to hit your arm. Yeah. Uh, Kyron Williams had a guy saying something right in his face. They got, they pulled Williams away. Williams took off either glove or tape and threw it and hit the guy in the head, which I thought was a pretty impressive move. If it was his glove, <laughs> he sacrificed a glove, but I think Notre Dame probably pays for those anyway. And then uh I don't know. I saw Jason had to be able to fire his helmet off the wall. And of course yeah. people are saying he threw it at somebody and missed because someone grabbed his arm. I have no idea. All I saw was the, Helmet hit the wall, and I thought to myself, "It's really weird to throw your helmet at the wall."
0: Wow, Drew White stepping out, huh? That's not. Oh, yeah. that, that's Drew not... White
1: is a talkative <laughs> the... dude, man. That guy says something after every play he makes. And Kurt Heinisch, I like Pete's tweet. Kurt Heinisch flag for tackling. <laughs> yes, <laughs> admittedly, that looks like a penalty, even though it's not, right? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. The it horse yeah.
0: between. Yeah. yeah, it's it's between the tackles. I actually thought. At the time, it's like, well, wait a minute, that's not a horse color. I'm not sure I had in my head exactly why it wasn't. Uh, but no, it wasn't. You can imagine why. I mean, you understand the Virginia sure. Tech fans' reaction. Oh,
1: yeah. That would, to that. Go crazy if that happened at Notre Dame Stadium to Kyron Williams. <laughs> <All right.
0: laughs> yeah, no doubt about it.
1: Next question from David Junkie four is it janky or Junkie? There's an H in there. I found it I interesting know. that I found it interesting that Virginia Tech's quarterbacks ran all over Notre Dame. Was this a failure of Freeman's scheme?
0: I found this question interesting, and I, I actually I addressed this topic uh, in my tail of the tape before okay. I actually got the questions ready for this, so there's no connection there. But imagine what the 30 teams that lost to Ian Book thought—the <laughs> fan bases of the 30 teams that lost to Ian Book. Why can't our defense stop Ian Book from running? I actually I wanted to try to go back and and look at Book's stats in the in the games that he won as the starter because I know he got shut down a couple of times when they lost. Yeah. But man, stopping the quarterback from running is extremely difficult if you think about what you have to do as linebackers and defensive backs. You're defending the pass many times, actually having to turn your back or your shoulder. To the quarterback and then Burmeisters the fastest player on the Virginia Tech team and he's nor name's not the first team that he hurt with, with his feet yeah Kelly he's seemed really good at it
1: Kelly seemed to indicate there should be a little more containment um outside but you know there were some parts where like Burmeister would take one step to run away from fosky and MTA would go knife outside just like he's supposed to and the Burmeister would just simply cut inside and run for 12 yards I just, just think he's a hard guy to stop on those plays. Um, Did you notice that they had Kyle Hamilton spying on him on one third down, and he did not even consider running? So he noticed it and he threw an incomplete pass. And I was like, "Well, that takes Kyle Hamilton out of the play, but it also makes sure Burmeister is not going to beat you." So maybe. And also,
0: it also makes me think about. It. I know a lot of people have been critical of, of Foskey lining up at you know inside linebacker, and I don't think he did that. Did he even right. do that? He didn't. He didn't do that all at all in this game. But if you think about it. If your entry point on the pass rush is in the middle, it mitigates the quarterback's ability to get out of the backside because you're on one right. side or the other, if you're coming off the edge. So I, I from that standpoint, I understand it because it, it compromises the quarterback's ability to to run away, but Burmeister's really good at it and he does it against every team that they play.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: And Notre yeah Dame, including I mean, Notre Dame.
2: The other teams have strengths too. And I mean, look, this, we're not talking about Denard Robinson running for 200 yards here. Burmeister had 10 carries for 49 yards. You know, he the big, the 19-yard well, touchdown was a loss of contain, right? Like, I, that didn't yeah. strike me as, like, a schematic flaw. It was just was like Notre Dame gave him an opening, and he took it, and he's really friggin' fast, so he scored on it.
0: Well, and Blummerk kid. Had- Blummerk had 29 yards and, you know, yeah, I mean, half that, of that's a, like,
2: like on the right, first that, carry, like we're like Notre Dame was sort of like, uh, okay, what do we do here? You know, he gets the 16 yards, but that was sort of it.
0: Well, he's like a wildcat when he cut, yeah. right. I mean, when he takes a direct snap and they run, that's like having a wildcat and yeah. therefore you have an extra body to block. So exactly. You know, I, I, I get it. I, it's, it's really, really difficult. Of course, Marcus Freeman and every defense needs to do a better job at that. It's just a really, really tough assignment when you have a mobile quarterback like that. Irish from A2. Are Buckner's issues in the passing game fixable? Are the accuracy issues due to mechanics or inexperience? Um,
2: I mean, it's a good question. I think it's a fair question. I, you know, I go back to watching Buckner play in person in high school and like, look, he's under no pressure against private school kids in, in San Diego so I don't want to like get too carried away with what I saw but I saw a guy that could throw changes arm angle could throw fastballs he could throw change-ups um you know the the screen pass that he sailed to Kyron Williams is not something I I wouldn't have expected that based on what I saw from him in high school where like he can dial it back and not you know throw everything a million miles an hour so I I feel like it's it's fixable with experience and just like calming down. Um, That had to be a ridiculous environment to step into. Um, So just, I think over time, like he'll just sort of get used to that and you won't see that kind of stuff happen.
1: I agree with you over time. Um, I don't think it'll be as fast as Deshaun Kaiser, because if you remember Deshaun Kaiser's first start against Georgia tech, he couldn't complete a ball to the left side. It was a mechanical issue. And then the next time he was out there, he was completing balls all over the field for the rest of the season i now Buckner's not going to get those reps of that and play the whole game and, and, that, and I, he's probably behind Kaiser after missing the year of high school but um yeah i i feel like it might not be fixable during the year. I just assume he will see things better though too like now that he's tried to make a play by running right in what is basically uh last drive effort second to last drive effort and throwing back across the middle for an interception in the drive, he knows what the downside of such a thing is he's not going to be out there trying to make those plays you would hope right I mean now he knows okay I can't do that at this level I mean that that's a play where he probably thought he saw Diggs and he thought he'd get it to Diggs, and
0: I, you know I would get it I, to digs no but I mean that's I mean that should be a pretty easy throw he's wide open you're rolling to your right I mean yeah, I, I, I don't know I, I I understand that the ball sailed on him but I don't understand wh- why that shouldn't be an easy throw I agree with you guy Pete you said you know, settle in and confidence, and yeah, I mean that. That yeah. first of all, he's playing in maybe the toughest environment he's even he's going to play in while at Notre Dame. Um, well, not and, if he starts and,
1: next year to start the
0: season. Well, that's true. They gotta go. they gotta, <laughs> it's gonna they get they a little
1: gotta not starting
0: at Ohio State? <laughs> they <clearly> gotta
2: go <laughs> to the that. shoe. They gotta go I to the I shoe. Can,
0: <laughs> they can think of one. Um, but you know, I like when he muscles up when he when he comes over the top, like the forty-six yarder. He's short and quick over the top. And that was, a, that was a great throw. He made a great throw to Davis. He made a great throw to um, uh, Avery Davis. Uh, the, Kevin the Austin touchdown. was a beautiful throw. Kevin Austin yeah, the, was a nice throw. Right. The touchdown pass to um, Williams was an extremely well designed play, which, by the way, I've got to insert it here. If you're not, if you don't come out of this game and, and say that Tommy Reese called a great game, then you're just not being objective about it. You're just not. Because he did a he did a masterful job of of, of putting Butner in situations to be successful. But my, the, quarterbacks have to change arm angles. Yep. I don't think Butner's very good at it when he when he does something outside of the short and quick over-the-top ball that he threw to Austin. I when he come when he has when he changes his arm angle, which quarterbacks have to do, I don't think he's very good at it.
2: I think he true. will be though. I think that's yeah. actually one of like the big strengths of his game
1: that's
0: Beautiful. not showing right now. Beautiful. That, yeah, then, I
1: was I was gonna go to Tim's point. Like if he doesn't do that well, he's in a lot of trouble because he's a quarterback that's going to be doing RPOs and throwing a, move a lot. Yeah. So he's got to be able to. Yeah, angle. Yeah.
0: Again, the RPO situations that that Reese created for him, the play the touchdown pass to Williams is a beautifully designed play. You have two backs. You have two backs on the field. But Williams is in the slot. Yeah. And he ducks under. He ducks underneath. He created that play call and the use of personnel created a bust in the secondary. You see Waller very upset with his teammates for not handling it well.
1: You know, uh, pregame, I think the podcast listeners will like this. Pregame, about 10 straight reps before they actually went out as a team, was Kyron Williams in the end zone running a shake and cut to the outside back to back to back to back. And it was all with drew pine, but he kept running that exact same move and breaking out and catching yeah. passes. It was kind of cool. You,
0: yeah. That was on our message board. Yeah. You, I put that right? on, on a message board. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. Question from Cass Hodge 42 Buckner showed star potential on a good chunk of the plays and he had his freshman's mistakes. Is it safe to say Buckner is the starting quarterback for the 2022 team?
1: I think it's safe to say he's gonna start for Notre Dame next year. He's gonna beat out Drew Pine.
2: I think so. Just like this these six games give me pause to make any sort of uh declarative statements. Yeah, and you gotta be like about mean, anything.
0: Yeah, and well, you gotta be you gotta be fair, you gotta be fair about your quarterback situation. But I would for
1: sure. I wouldn't
0: say it's safe to say, but I would say that it's like it's certainly likely.
1: Who's gonna improve more in the next nine Well, ten yeah, months? I mean. Drew Pike or- can- yeah.
0: Pine, and Pines having a tough time getting on the field now. So
1: yeah, that's, that's why I look at it. Uh, do, do people mention that on the message messenger?
0: <laughs> I don't know. I haven't seen it. And if I have, okay. it hasn't bothered huh. me at all.
1: <laughs> this what this one from a Weaver it's been mentioned repeatedly how Zeke Corral can't keep his weight up. Is this something that is going to hinder him from being an effective center next year?
0: Well, uh, I think we mentioned in the last podcast the possibility of Jared Patterson coming back next year is the, the greatest yep. hindrance. But, yeah, you know, I don't know that I've ever seen it or been aware of it to this extent, just how difficult it is for him to keep weight. I mean, I think at one point during an offseason he got up to 300. But, I mean, I was literally told this week that he was down to 280, not 285 or 286, as Kelly mentioned. And if you look at him, I mean, I remember seeing him running off the field. We were already in the end zone at the end of the Cincinnati game and seeing him run off the field, he actually ran right by me. And I thought, my God, what does he weigh? He looks so thin. And so when he gets, when he starts getting involved in the season and playing full time, he just loses weight and can't, he just can't hold it. I I don't, you know, and I know that they've looked at every possibility nutritionally. And they just haven't been able to. I mean, I what can I say? He's a human being. He there, there are certain limitations that that you know, we yeah. have, and 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 you know, I mean, Zeke Carrell has has that.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, could he could he play center at two ninety?
0: Yeah,
2: uh, I think it's much harder to play
1: guard at two ninety. I do too. I, I think that. It's not only his weight that's not him playing guard, though. Either he's not getting out there that fast when he is asked to pull and do some stuff. Right? I mean, I I know the really main isn't. thing is the main thing is he gets shoved back on some plays and that ruins the running game. Well, but. and
0: I I think that part Tim g- comes down to indecision and lack yeah. of confidence. And that's true. I mean, he's he's had so much, you know. I mean, look, he's had so much failure in the first six games that you can imagine his psyche is really, really, really shaken. Uh, that's right. But. You know, we can talk about size and holding weight. He didn't get pushed around by Alabama. He did not get pushed around by Alabama.
1: Yeah, it's, I mean, obviously he's a better center because we, he played better against North Carolina and Alabama than he has it all this year. I You know what? That's He played well against Florida State. We should, it, but it has been a really, he has not played well since Florida State has, he? unless I'm really overlooking something that I.
0: I don't know. But yeah. I, I, I'm based upon what we've seen now at guard, he's not a guard. Uh, I mean, he's uh, he is where we've seen him have success and he had success or at the very minimum, he held his own against Alabama. That, that should say it all.
1: And Jacobs three, assuming Kyron Williams and Kyle Hamilton leave, who do you think will be the team leaders next year in terms of swagger, energy, and chippiness?
0: Really good question. question. The first guy, the first guy that comes to mind for me is Michael Mayer.
1: That's because that's the first guy that should come to mind. For yes. He is, he's already got it. So he's, he's the one that already has it. Um, I started looking at the roster cause this is hard.
0: Yeah. Cause after that, after uh, that, you know,
1: who's one and that's why I'm going to look at the roster cause he's out of sight, out of mind is Leofau? Mm-hmm. He's got Good plenty one. of that. He's got plenty of that in him. Um, I don't know. Who, I mean, batello has got to be on the field and in a role that is a rotational player to be, he clearly has the chippiness.
0: Jordan yeah. Do you see it? Do you see him get blown off the ball on the goal line? On, the,
1: tu- on the touchdown. Yeah. And yeah. that was actually, they should have stopped. They should have stopped that play. If he, and now in fairness, that is a much bigger offensive tackle than Jordan Botello is a football player and he's not there yet to, to take No,
0: that but ball. if you were, I, that was my concern in the spring, you know, we would get our three minute clips and I just didn't think that he handled size really well. Yeah. Um, you know, I, which, which is why, moving him around as opposed to just being on the edge is probably the best usage of him. Now he's got to be on the edge sometimes. Um, But, but I think, I think right. That, that was, that was just something that struck me in the spring. And then when he saw that play against Virginia tech, I had, uh, had the same thought, Pete, who do you, I mean, other than Uh, Michael Mayer, I don't know that a lot of guys jump out as far as, Swagger and energy and chippiness when you exclude, you know, Hamilton and Williams and
2: Joe White and Heinish. Yeah. Um, Maybe that
0: if the Adam Alolas come back. Um, yeah.
2: I mean, we've been in practice when seeing Bertrand talk. Um, That's true. That's a good point. You know, so that might be a possibility. Well, but Bertrand, I mean, Mayor is number one by a large margin here. Yeah.
0: Bertrand. Certainly moves to the mic next year with a healthy Leopold, you know, coming back to to play the will.
1: And you never know. Maybe some of these young offensive linemen, they don't have to be chippy to be uh, to be gritty and aggressive and angry right. all the time. Maybe you have Blake Fisher, Rocco Spindler, and Joel, Joe Alt
0: right all now, serving I, in that role. I I could certainly see Rocco Spindler being that guy, but he's got to get his feet he's wet,
1: got to play uh, yeah.
0: grounded. K. Beasley, after watching some great plays but inconsistencies with Kevin Austin. How much value for him would it be to come back for next season? Could the staff, could our staff, I assume, uh, run down potential lists of stay or go pro? How about grad transfers for those who will have a debate at year's end? We got a lot, we got a lot there. Yeah, um,
1: I think it would be a huge value of Kev, for Kevin Austin to come back that I never even considered in August. But he is clearly a young player that happens to be a senior and needs another year of polish at wide receiver. There are. Like I said about Daniels coming out, there are 50 Kevin Austin's coming out right now in terms of his fully developed wide receiver ability. Not talent. think he'll have his,
2: but yeah, it's like he'll have as good of a highlight tape as anybody. Um, yeah, but, but he won't have as good of a full season of film as anybody.
0: Yeah. And, you know, as far as inconsistencies, I, I wrote this in Tale of the Tape today. The last time Kevin Austin played snap after snap after snap was right. 2017 at North Broward prep.
1: Right, right. I, I broached so, this with Kelly. I mean he we my question was he's a senior, but he's not a senior, right? And it's just he's he's not. It,
0: I mean we he overlooked that. He, I overlooked he, it, at he, least. He broke his foot twice. I you know, I just I I understand a frustration when Purdue shuts him down or or when he, you know, when he struggles against uh Cincinnati, but Man, there's got to be you got to give him a little bit of break here. He's he has not been been taking sixty five to seventy five snaps a game, and when he's been good, I you know, I, I agree. Four out of six games, he's been really really good. He he needs another year. I hope okay. he realizes yeah. he needs another year. Uh, other guys, you know, Lindsay needs another year for um, sure.
1: And he, he's trending up though. He's he's trending up. That was a nice made a catch and made sure you got the first down on one of the last two drives yep. with Cone.
0: Yep. And you know, I don't. I mean, the Adam Alola twins, to say the least, are close. And Justin, Justin and Adam Alola could certainly use a full year. I don't know if that influences Jason to to stay another year or not because he's playing great.
1: You know, yeah. Would, yeah. Do you think Joe think. Wilkins will
0: return?
2: Um, I mean, Joe Wilkins now he's yeah. out for the year. I mean, he's not really played a lot of football. You I know, mean, that that made me more a question of like, do I want to take my fifth year at Notre Dame or do I want to go? maybe closer to home. I don't, I don't know. We've only talked to him a few times. He seems like a pretty engaging guy. He may just want to be yeah. like, I want to be, I want to be a spot where I can play 55 snaps a game. He's uh, Fo- not going to be here.
0: Yeah. You know, uh, Foskey could go. I talk about highlight tapes. I think his is going to be pretty impressive as well. As far as grad transfer, Siebel Flemister is definitely trending in that yeah. direction. George Takis will be caught behind Michael mayor mayor again next year. So.
1: Yeah, you know, George Takis is an interesting one. I would have – it depends on if he has delusions or not. Like, if he just thinks, I'd love to be a fifth-year tight end at Notre Dame and contributing to a a run at the playoffs, That's might be George Takis too, right? I mean, yeah. maybe if Takis thinks he can play pro, he's <laughs> got to go somewhere and, and obviously put more tape out there. I think Sebo is going to grad transfer no matter what because Tyree would always be back as the starter. Right. Um. Now it just seems clear. You mentioned Fosky, Tim. Yeah, I, you know, you're, he's a guy that you wouldn't begrudge if he got a good grade, but boy, I bet he'd be really good.
0: I know. Really
1: good with another year. Like, top, way shoot up the draft boards good as a senior. Um, Wilkins is a good point, Pete. I would. I feel like the same as Takis. Where's, how about come back and get 40 snaps a game at Notre Dame, right? I mean, he's there's no guarantee Deion Colsey will beat him out right away.
0: Oh, here's a gimme Tariq Bracey.
1: Yeah, he's a COVID yeah. one. He could get a COVID year.
0: Yeah, he, uh, that's a, that's an absolute gimme.
1: I have heard that Jason Adamiola is very inclined to go with his year he's having, and that Justin is inclined to come back. Okay. That would, well, that would, make, that would make the most sense. Right?
0: It, it would make the most sense. I was just, as twins, they've never coexisted apart. So,
1: yeah. Well, it'd be cool to have him back <laughs> because once again, Jason Adamiola would be a top tier defensive tackle next mm-hmm. year. For yeah.
0: No doubt. No doubt about it.
1: Uptown Crown, what do you think the offensive line will look like next year when Blake Fisher returns?
0: Um, well, again, if if Patterson returns, he's a center. If not, Corell is. Spindler Kristoffic at guard, alt Fisher at tackle.
1: I totally agree. And then the center is either a fifth-year starting center or Z Corell restarting. Would,
0: yeah. would you I,
2: not um think about Carmody at guard? Uh
0: yes. Yeah. Yes. Very, very definitely. I would think about that. Take a look at that. And I, I'm, I'm probably overplaying the Patterson thing and I really need to stop doing that. Cause I don't want to get everybody's hopes up, but sure. that could happen. That, that could happen. That's all I'm saying there. Um, yeah. And that looks like, looks like the makings of a pretty good offensive line, but if it's let's, okay, let's say it's, let's say it's Fisher, Christophic, Corral, Carmody and Alt with Spindler as the sixth guy, man, that's still a really young, inexperienced offensive line.
1: I would hope in terms of what we expect from Rocco Spindler, that he's able to win the starting guard job at Notre Dame next year. Yeah. we're We're moving a smaller Carmody. It's not like Blake Fisher gets moved to guard and then because Tosh Baker is doing so well and you have to beat out Blake Fisher. You know, that's that's not who you're beating out. It's I would think he would start
0: Baker, of course, would be right in there at at right tackle. I wouldn't think that I wouldn't think Tosh Baker is going to see much time at at left tackle moving forward Um, just because that's a that's not a great fit. Right tackle much better fit for him. Go Irish thirty-one. Which player on either side of the ball needs to step up in the second half of the season if this team is going to finish eleven and one? Yeah, Nine one on, one guy okay. jumps out of me.
1: One on defense jumped out of me was Clarence Lewis.
0: Yep, that's the one. Okay. Yeah, um, yeah, he needs to. He just needs to be better in in um, in one on one coverage. I you know Bracy was really. I mean, they had Bracy in soft coverage. The other night and was really kind of having a tough go of it until he made a great play against it one of the, the the youngest receiver that Virginia Tech has in the rotation. It was it was a great play. I think the, the the freshman receiver may have played into it a little bit, but that was a man. I mean, not only great play, but really significant Notre Dame. Yeah. Um, you know, and eventually winning that game.
2: Yeah, it's a, you would, whether it's Lewis or Bracy, it just sort of needs to be one of them. Um, you know, it'd be fine either way. Offensively, I <sighs> um, probably. Is it weird if I say Jack Cohn? Like,
1: that's <laughs> what I, so I was going to say, Jack Cohn, too. Okay, all right. So yeah, it's not weird. Yeah. yeah. I, I feel like it could be everybody except Kyron Williams and Michael Mayer on offense. Like, Kevin Austin could become the Best version of Kevin Austin for six straight weeks. Brayden Lindsay could become the guy that gets one deep shot touchdown that helps Notre Dame in five of the next six weeks. You know, like Chris Tyree could become. Hey, I have an offensive line now. I can gain more than twelve yards for the season on my longest rush behind this offensive line. There's yep. Tyler Buckner, Jack Cohn. Name an offensive lineman. Not Patterson. How's that?
0: Yeah. And, you know, I thought first of all, Lindsay was really, really quiet Saturday until he wasn't quiet anymore, and that was. Yeah. That that was good. That 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 would be the guy that I would choose on offense, and we wrap things up with a question from Cosmic Debris, better known as Joseph Ramus. And the question is: What will your overall thoughts be of this Notre Dame team if it finishes eleven and one, but does not win another game by more than seven or eight points? Would they be a top ten team if they go eleven and one? What bowl could you see them playing in?
2: If they finish eleven and one, I will absolutely be writing a story that has the phrase. Was this Brian Kelly's best coaching job? In it, so that's what I would think of it. And they probably they'd be either in the Peach Bowl or the Fiesta Bowl.
1: Yeah, there's no doubt they'll be a top ten team at eleven and one. Doesn't matter what you win your games by if you are not in the four person playoff conversation. That is important to point out. You can win eleven games by a field goal as long as they're not weighing you for the playoffs because then they don't care. If you notice how people vote. Move them up, move them up, move them up, move them up. As long as you're not looking to be number four, I don't think that matters. Uh, and I don't think they'll be looking to be number four. So 11-1 would be awesome. Uh, they have not looked like an 11-1 team yet this year, I don't think. Uh, I had them go to 11-1 preseason. So I guess they wouldn't have the exact same headline as Pete. But Pete, you make a good point. If I, if they didn't look like they were 11-1 all year, then it would be a heck, of a heck of a job by Kelly. You
0: know, normally here I would say it depends upon what the – you know, the other teams in the country do, but I mean, they're, they're with the, what the remaining schedule, if Dame goes 11 to one, I find it really hard to believe that they're going to, they're going to be included in the playoffs. So I would say peach bowl against uh wake forest. Is That feasible.
2: It's it, it's, it's feasible,
0: but you know, I'm not super excited.
1: <laughs> I tell you one thing.
0: O'Malley is-, is he wants to go back to Atlanta.
1: That is a great, great idea with me. And anything that keeps Notre Dame out of a bowl game with Ohio State this year that is not a playoff game is also okay with me. (laughs) I do not need to uh, relive those situations for the Notre Dame teams that aren't quite good enough for playoff level. Yet another Ohio State Fiesta Bowl matchup. Who would you like to play if you're Notre Dame? I'd like to play anybody in the playoffs. Who don't you want to play if you're not in the playoffs? I don't want to play Ohio State. (laughs) That's just how I look at it. Or Alabama. Also not Alabama if you're not in the playoffs. That
0: mm-hmm. idea. We had a we had a bunch of big picture questions submitted for for today, and we tried to steer it more towards Virginia Tech. Yeah. So uh, just to to those on our message board that submitted questions, we're going to hold on to those and use some of those on uh, Thursday when we take more of a big picture look, mid season look, grades kind of thing. I'll be writing a story about that uh this week so uh more talk on notre dame as we as we move forward at the halfway point heading into the bye week we appreciate you joining us today for irish illustrated insider